If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. And this week, I'm excited for you to meet Gene Berdachevsky, co-founder and CEO of Sela, the next generation battery materials company. Gene founded Sela back in 2011, and the company's grown to be valued at over $3 billion and recently announced a partnership with Whoop. Prior to co-founding Sela, Gene was the seventh employee at Tesla Motors, where he served as principal engineer on the Roadster battery, leading the development of the world's first safe mass-produced automotive lithium-ion battery system. Gene holds two degrees from Stanford University, an MS in engineering with a focus on energy and materials, and a BS in mechanical engineering. He has co-authored 42 patents in four academic publications. Gene has been named to the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, the MIT Technology Review 35 Under 35, and was the recipient of the Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowship for North America. Let's welcome Gene. Hi, Gene. I'm so excited to have you, and I cannot wait to dive into Sela today. I have a hundred questions that I'm excited to ask you, but I just want to start with the basics for everybody out there, uh, really maybe not as familiar with batteries and the future of them. Can you start with what's Sela in your own words? Yeah, uh, thanks Alexa for having me. Um, you know, Sela is really a, a next generation materials company focused on moving the world to a more sustainable future. Um, we're, we're initially uh, working on in the energy space and really moving the energy transition from uh, a world of fossil fuels to a world of renewables and electric uh, vehicles. And we do that by making next generation materials that go inside of the lithium ion battery that allow the battery to store a lot more energy and, and be a lot more efficient and ultimately lower cost, which will enable an even faster adoption of electric vehicles than what we're seeing today. And eventually, uh, an even deeper penetration of renewables onto the electric grid, um, which which is also coming in the in, in the next decade or two here. So, if we go back and you know, as I said in the intro, uh, you were you know under ten of employees at Tesla, uh, where you served as the principal engineer on the Roadster battery. So you know batteries very very well. As you were thinking about the sort of moment that led you to start Sela. Give us a sense of just where your head was. What was the aha moment around battery technology? How did, how did you come up with the idea and what was that real, real early motivation? Well, I, it actually started even before Tesla. I, uh, when I was uh, at Stanford, I built solar cars uh, in my undergrad days and, uh, and fell in love with energy and how, how, much of, how um, efficient you could make transportation, uh, renewables. Um, you could you could sort of see this. We built we built a car that had two horsepower and could go 55 miles an hour on flat ground. And you just made you question why we're so inefficient in in the built environment we have today. So I fell in love with energy there. Um, the the big aha was while I was at Tesla. So I you know I stopped out of Stanford and um, joined Tesla. And as I was de- developing the the battery for the Roadster, as our team was developing the battery for the Roadster, one of the responsibilities I had was looking at 
the cells that you could buy uh, in, out in the world, the commodity batteries. And what we saw was that the performance improvements were really starting to slow down. So the 15 years leading up to the founding of Tesla, batteries got better and better and better. And really through the laptops that we used to have, if you remember those bulky laptops yep, in the 90s. I remember little, them well. Yeah, the little bulge on the back of the uh, IBM ThinkPads, right, that had uh, those little cylindrical cells that ended up being the first batteries in the Tesla Roadster. So those were improving at an incredible pace. And even in the four years that we built the roads from 2004 to 2008, the pace of innovation really dropped off uh, and the cost reductions really slowed down on those commodity cells. And so uh, when I left, you know, I really wanted to study the science uh, behind energy and the science behind energy storage in particular, and was able to see that there were these opportunities, these very, very challenging uh, scientific breakthroughs that would be required. But if you could, if you could unlock those scientific breakthroughs and scale them, as we've we've learned, that's the other really big thing you have to do. Uh, you could push batteries to a whole nother level of performance, drop cost to another lower level, and ultimately drive kind of mass mass adoption. So it took took a little time for me to to learn the science, to understand where where things were going, and to find the right uh, partners and the right technology to to commercialize. But that was. That was the, the big problem that we saw uh, as, as we were launching the Roadster. So before we go into the business and some of the amazing updates that you have, you know, all founders iterate on their ideas. And as an investor, I stare at that all day long. But you've actually tested over 55,000 formulas before finding something that worked for Sela, which is wild. And you know, I'd love to just ask the question first, where does your sense of persistence come from? Uh, because that that is real endurance there. Um, and then give us a sense of that aha moment when you felt like something was working. What did that really look like? Yeah, yeah so in the sense of persistence, it's, it's um, you know, I, I think when the problem is meaningful enough, you're just going to keep going. And, you know, and as long as you're making progress and as long as you're being intellectually honest about what still doesn't work, that pulls people along with you. Uh, so if you if you start sort of saying, oh, it's right around the corner, it's right around the corner when it's really five years away, you know, people are going to start, stop believing you, investors will stop investing, et cetera. But if you're intellectually honest and you're willing to go and the mission is important enough, then then I, I tend to think that, that people will support you. And that's a virtuous cycle because that support is needed for an entrepreneur to keep going, right? Both on, a, on an emotional level and on a financial level. That's key. You know, as far as kind of what does a breakthrough look like? It, you know, counterintuitively, it's not a eureka moment like everybody thinks, right? So, um, part of what was really special about what we did in the early days to get these scientific breakthroughs is we recognized that the innovation of, you know, today we, we promised customers about a 20% improvement in uh, over state-of-the-art batteries kind of with a drop-in of, of our technology. Um, and that 20%, it doesn't come from one innovation. It probably comes from 40 little things that we figured out along the way. And so these are little half percent things that you figure out persistently over time. And so what you're really looking for is that trajectory of improvement uh, time over time. And one of, the, one of the other really important pieces in order to achieve that is if you're looking for half percent improvements as opposed to one eureka moment, you have to build systems that allow you to see that little half percent improvement, right? You have to build very high fidelity, high accuracy tools. And this is one of the things that we did really well, I think, as a company is we brought tools that other scientists didn't have together with scientists, brilliant scientists who had ideas others didn't have. And, and the combination of that is part of what created some of this magic. So, you know, really looking at that pace of progress and, and from the outside world, you know, that pace of progress may be invisible. It has to, it's only visible to the insider. And, and the analogy I can make is like, if you're, you know, if you're swimming up from the bottom of the ocean, 
you might be swimming at a really fast pace towards the surface, but nobody sees it until you break this through the surface. And breaking through the surface is kind of like launching launching your product into the market. So we did that last year, which was awesome. But you know, we spent 10 years kind of swimming up from the bottom of the ocean. And that pace of progress, only we could see, our investors could see. Um, and, and that's kind of as long as that pace of progress is really good, then you feel good about it. I love that analogy. It's a it's a very good visual. Um, so as you just said, you're 10 years in. You've always thought about production in phases, and you're now in this phase with this huge partnership with Whoop. Um, and you know, as I understand it, phase one uh, is first small consumer devices, trending towards bigger. You know, phase two, which is phones and cars, and obviously then saving the planet. Hopefully, um, walk us through a little bit about this new breaking through with this huge launch and starting with small consumer devices. How do you think about that? How should we think about that? Yeah, so I won't get too deep in the weeds, but I'll do just a, a minute of basics on on the battery that's in your phone, and that's hopefully in your car if you drive an electric car. Yeah, please do. I I think this is so so fascinating for all of us. So there's really four components in a battery that matter. Like once you sort of say, okay, let's unpack the battery a bit because we make one of those components. The two main ones are called the anode and the cathode, and they have a very simple function. One stores lithium, which effectively you can say it stores en- the energy when the battery is charged and the other stores it when the battery is discharged. So they're sort of host materials and the lithium in the lithium ion moves between the two. They make up 80, 90% of the space inside a battery. You open up the battery, it's mostly just anode and cathode. And the other two components are sort of enabling them to store energy. There's a little separator in between that keeps them from short circuiting. And there's an electrolyte that, that lets things move in, in the battery. So those, but it's all about the anode and the cathode. And so what what uh, you know what we're doing is we're replacing um, that that anode um, with with uh, a much higher performing anode. The anode that's been in the in lithium ion battery for thirty years is graphite. We're replacing with a silicon based material. That silicon based material is a lot. It can store a lot more lithium in a much smaller space. So it lets the big battery get smaller, or if you already have a small enough battery, it lets it get more powerful. Right. So it, it stores more energy. But what's really interesting, and, and, and the reason I, I, I explain this is, if you think about the Whoop device that we launched, the per- performance tracker that we launched in uh, earlier this year, the anode material in that device is the exact same anode material before Sela was the exact same anode material as what's in your cell phone. And it's the exact same anode material as what's in your car. There's just more of it. It's a powder material. It's identical. And so the fact that we're in a product in the market in a whoop device, even though it's a very small device, that same exact powder can be in a car once we get to scale. Identical material, identical chemistry. And so that's, you know, in some ways we've basically shown the world, aha, this is coming. There's no, there's no way around it, right? This technology is here. It works. It'll be in every car uh, when the time comes. So why isn't it in every car? It's all about scale. Um, the amount of material that you have in your phone the amount of anode material needed in your phone is about one ten thousandth. So you need 10,000 phones worth of anode material for one car. Um, and it gets even crazier as you get to something like a whoop or a wireless earbud. You know, one car is sort of the equivalent of a quarter million AirPods worth of batteries, right? Wow. So, so the numbers are staggering. And so at today, we have production capacity to allow us to launch in, in whoop. Um, we did announce a $600 million financing at the, uh, this, this, this year, early this year, uh, which will fund the first automotive scale factory to produce this material, this powder, 
um, at an identical material at a much bigger scale that allow us to get into cars. And that'll be, you know, the the target right now for when folks would be able to have a car with Sela anode inside is 2025 with some of our partners. You just raised $600 million. What do you have to do as an organization to go from a small consumer device to a car? I know you're building a huge plant in North America. Talk a little bit about what that work looks like over the next two to three years. Yeah, so it's a, you know it's an organizational transformation, and and I think you know maybe just take a step back. If you want to make a huge impact in the world, you need to do two things, especially when you think about hard tech, when you think about energy technologies, when you think about sustainability more broadly. You have to have some breakthrough science. Obviously, the science that we've had has gotten us here in the world, which isn't sustainable. Um, so you have to have some breakthrough science. We've done that. The other piece you have to have is you have to have scale. And that's kind of what we're what we're working on. So um, to get, kind of give you a sense, those fifty five thousand iterations that we talked about, we built that on a on an R and D line that made a sort of palm sized quantity of material every day, right? Tiny little bits. About as things started working, we scaled that up by a factor of a hundred. That would make sort of you know, kind of kilo at a time of material uh, uh, every day. And then as that worked. And we were able to qualify for some of these products. We, we went out and built another 100 times bigger production line. That we just commissioned earlier this year. That's sort of what's producing material that allows to launch and whoops and, you know, and, and other small consumer electronics. And now all we have to do, Alexa, is go take one, one more 100x bigger step. So we need to build these much, much bigger reactors. And that requires a different level of engineering. Um, it requires a different maturity of the organization because when you're building these you know, couple hundred million dollar facilities, um, you have to get everything right because if one thing doesn't work, it's really hard to, you know, it's hard to fix that. Um, and so we've, one of the things we've done, part of that comes back to recruiting, recruiting incredible talent, right? So getting folks who've done this at scale before, we were able to recruit our, our COO who helped build SunPower from zero to 10 in revenue, you know, really started the solar revolution. We went out and recruited a toxic oil and gas industry, uh, you know, and it's a little bit of like, well, one thing the oil and gas industry is really good at is building things at scale that work. Uh, and, you know, and, and so we, we're, we're getting them on our team this time. And it, I, I'll tell you, it's an incredible thing to see how many people are really motivated to come out of the oil and gas industry, to come into renewables, to take that skill set. They're incredibly well-trained, incredibly talented. Um, they know how to build things at scale. And so we have to mature the organization, develop that muscle. And once we do, then it becomes really the engine for, for driving the world towards sustainability create the breakthrough science, scale it. Well, it sounds like because it's now so clear to people, it's tangible that the breakthrough science is getting put into the hands of consumers. It sounds like you're having a talent moment where you can go and continue to attract the best and the brightest literally in the industry. Um, Gene, I want to ask you a question, which you're so in it, you're literally in it. It's 10 years in and you're just having this exciting moment. And then you've got another 10 years plus to go. And if we were just going to get inside your head and just listen to some of the predictions you have 10 years out that are obvious to you, but probably not that obvious to everybody else, what are those? Where do you think the puck is headed? Yeah, the world's going to keep accelerating in in this direction. I think it's hard for humans to kind of extrapolate that. We can kind of extrapolate linearly. We can see, oh, electric vehicles are here and they're going to keep taking off and maybe my next car will be electric. But I think it's the pace at which all cars will be electric will, will in retrospect, look very, very surprising. So I, I think that's the biggest thing we're seeing. Um, it's it's going to 
pace a little bit behind from a storage perspective, but all the investments that are being made in electric vehicles today, those same batteries are perfect, perfect. They just need to be, get a little bit cheaper to enable renewables to be the absolutely dominant power generation uh, mechanism on the grid. So I don't think we've, we've seen that yet. You know, auto is still getting to scale. It's still maturing. It's going to go through some phases. We're going to have some supply chain shortages and, and things like that. We're, we're going to see some bumps in the road. And the reason we're going to see bumps in the road is when you take market penetration from like 2% to 20% at, you know, a trillion dollar scale, that creates these perturbations in the supply chain that we're, we're all getting very familiar with. But um, going from 2% to 20% is incredibly hard. You have this 10x scaling thing that happens. But then, you know, I think by sort of the late 2020s or, you know, by 2030, uh, a lot of that will shake out and going from 20% to, you know, 40%, 60% penetration, that's only 2x, 3x, right? And so the supply chains will run a lot smoother for that. So I think this next de- get decade, there'll, there'll still be some folks who come back and say, see, EVs can't scale because we're going to hit some supply chain shortages. And then a year or two later, they'll be gone. And, and, and uh, you know, anyone who bets that, that it's not coming um, that fast is, is going to lose their shirt. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carden knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Gina, somebody who truly is um, one of the more unique founders on the planet, who is, uh, you know, 10 years into a vision that could have one of the largest impacts on helping save the planet. Um, I'd love to just get a sense of how you think about organizational stamina beyond the like 55,000 tests to be able to get, you know, the, the, the breakthrough technology, right. But you're also motivating people, uh, in some ways in inches, right. You know, phase one, it's even on your website. Phase one is consumer products. Phase two is, you know, uh, X number of car or, or phones and then some cars and then phase three is millions of cars. And, um, you have to have so much stamina for you know, it's not even a marathon, you're running like an ultra marathon. How do you think about that organizationally and culturally? Give us a sense of like some of the things that really matter and make that work. Yeah. So, so I think, about, you know, we, we, we talk about this a little bit internally. We, we think about trying to build a hundred year company, right? And what do you need to do that? One of the most important things you need is, is you need, um, you need folks to stick around. You need really good retention because you need the knowledge that people are, you know, the know-how that they're developing for the first five years becomes might lead to just an insanely important breakthrough in year seven. But if you have really high turnover and nobody stays there more than a year or two, you never get to year seven for the kind of insights that people can drive, right? So scientists study something for a really long time and they can make a breakthrough, you know, much later. And so you have to create a culture that's, that's conducive to people wanting to be there for a while. And, and, you know, for that, you need to, that you need it to be a pretty inclusive culture. You want all, all, all your folks to want to be there for a while. You need it to be an incredibly collaborative culture. Um, so we think about how we can kind of motivate 
that type of environment. But you, it has to come with standards of excellence as well. You have to sort of push people. You have to challenge them. And and honestly, the best people, most talented people in the world, want to be challenged, right? So we talk a little bit about, um, you know, what what motivates the the most the most talented folks to 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 join your mission. Well, frankly, it being really hard is actually very motivating, as long as that's really hard is coupled to really meaningful. Um, you know, people who've spent their career at the, uh, you know, at the top of their game want to challenge themselves. And so when you say like, we're going to do this thing that's incredibly audacious and, you know, think about Tesla uh, back in the early days, like it was sort of the only game in town and all the most talented people who wanted to work on EVs went there. And so they, they sort of, they had a, they had an amazing ability to recruit talent. And, and so you know, in our domain, I think we're doing exactly that same thing. We're tackling the hardest problems in the in the in the right ways with the right environment, where the best people want to come and 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 be challenged. So uh, that's really important. Um, you know, at this stage of growth for the company, where we've we've exited the 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 part where, you know, as a young startup, you're always struggling for capital, and you think about I'm I'm a I'm I'm an engineer. I'm a bit of a scientist, right? So I think about this as a chemical reaction, uh, and the chemical reaction you have. What's the ingre- what's the ingredient that's limiting the reaction proceeding? Your limiting reagent, right? And so, in an early stage of a startup, your your limiting reagent, what's keeping it from proceeding, is, is oftentimes money, right? And you have to sort of show a little bit of progress, get a little more money, show a little bit of progress, get a little more money. As you exit that, you know, and as you start to be able to raise bigger amounts of money, the limiting reagent shifts to leadership. Uh, it shifts to, okay how do we rally people at every level of the organization? I'm not talking about CEO, I'm talking about every level and leadership, you know, individual leadership, it's not management, it's leadership. Um, and so there's sort of two things you have to be relentlessly focused on, I think. As you bring in not just talent, you have to bring in leadership. Uh, you have to look for that. You have to continue to up the leadership game in the organization. And the second thing is actually, you can you can generate leadership within the organization. How do you sort of give people the ball and say, here's this really important thing, run with it. Um, and that lets people step up. So, you know, that kind of in this stage of the company, and I'm sure it'll change. I'm sure the limiting reagent will change as, as we as we grow for the next decade. Um, but I think we, we've exited that capital uh, limiter and, and entered sort of this leadership limiter. And, and, and you have to do it both through bringing more and developing internally. I want to switch gears a little bit, uh, and I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself growing up. You came to the United States at age nine from Ukraine. I want to just pause and ask the question, what did your parents do that made you this special? And uh, I'm sitting here as a parent of three little kids, and if one of my children is you, I would, I'm would i pretty sure I would be the proudest grandmother at some point in my future. <laughs> Give us a sense of something that your parents did that really you remember. I mean, you know, I, I think... I don't. I certainly don't feel special. I feel continue like I have to challenge myself to get good enough to to do the right things. I think sort of all entrepreneurs sort of suffer from some some amount of that. Um, but I, you know, I, 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 I'd say looking back, one of the things was not to allow me to compare myself to others, but to just compare against sort of a standard of excellence and try to always achieve a higher standard of excellence. So. You know, I mean, I think this is true of many immigrant families, but the joke is if you bring home, you know, 99 on a test, they're like, why not 100? Um, and, and that was very true, I think, uh, with with um, with my 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 upbringing. It was sort of like, well, you know, yes, you're you might be doing this math that other kids aren't doing, but it doesn't matter that other kids aren't doing it. Here's a calculus book and you're going to you know sit there every summer day and, you know, for the first four hours and do 20 problems and then you can go play. Right. 
so I think just sort of pushing for that standard of excellence um, rather rather than sort of allowing to, to compare to others. And, and then it you know, becomes a little bit sort of second nature as, as, as you grow up. I love that. I want to talk a little bit about when you were at Stanford. You were part of a team building solar cars, and I read that you actually spent more time doing that than attending class. Um, where did that passion come from? Just give us a sense of what made you so drawn to that. Um, honestly, other people. So, you know, I, I, was, I was an only child growing up. I didn't have brothers, didn't have sisters, sort of wanted some of that kind of camaraderie. And the, the, other, the other folks I worked with were just incredible. Some of them have helped build SELA. Uh, you know, um, some of our first employees here and have contributed an immense amount. Um, and, and, and in that environment, that was sort of a, you know, a, a startup-like environment where there was no adult supervision, basically. A ridiculous mission, which is to pull the car from the ground by a bunch of 18-year-olds who, you know, put our friend in it to drive on a freeway, you know, at 80 miles an hour in some cases. Uh, it was an intense. And, you know, and I, but I think it's really all about the other people. And this kind of comes back to what this, a startup has to be all about. You know, you want to recruit the kind of people you just want to work with, you know, and and for a long time, for for a decade. And, and uh, you know, and, and that sort of fostered that notion for me. Um, and it's all about the team. It's all about having a, a diverse set of skills and backgrounds uh, to, to drive something like that to success. We had electrical engineers, we had chemical engineers, we had people with finance backgrounds who did all kinds of interesting things. Bio we had a biologist who built some of the, the, the hardware. I mean, it was, it was really, really cool. Um, and and uh, not to say I didn't, I got my classwork done too, but it was just sort of, that wasn't, you know, that's not the fun part. I had a feeling, Gene, that you got your classwork done too. <laughs> um, wasn't worried about that. I'm going to end by my last question, which is, um, you know, being a founder is brutal and you, you probably know better than anybody. It's just, sleepless nights, things that don't go right and you're 10 years in and you're just getting started. And, you know, it is, I, I would, I would actually say, um, you get this special, uh, maybe this is my bias, but you get this, this special ivory tower because what you're trying to build matters so much. You really do get to go to work every day trying to save the planet. Um, but that's also a lot of stress on your shoulders. What are your, tricks or tips or anything that you do that you could pay for to other founders listening that just keep you sane and stable? How do you find a little bit of that emotional balance that is necessary to run the marathon you're running? Yeah. And, and, and we certainly don't want to think of ourselves as being in some special place where we want to show up every day, uh, like everybody else, um, you know, and, and put it in honest day's work, a really hard honest day's work. But, um, you know, I think the key from my perspective is to continually recruit people that you, you give some of your work away to, right. I think, um, I have a little bit of a reputation for, for, for being a micromanager at times in my organization, but, but I also, I think when, you know, my goal and when, I, when we get this right, and we have the right person in the right place. I'm sort of like, okay, you take this and go. And I think you have to just, you have to trust people and you have to sort of lead with trust if you want that trust back. So you have to trust someone to, you know, empower them and, and you know, and they might fail, but you might have to go and empower them again and trust them again to, to uh, and because otherwise, how are they going to learn, right? They, you can't sort of expect everybody to be perfect. So I think um, I'm a big fan of sort of the, the, the notion we, we talk about giving away your Legos. Um, I think if I trace back our 10 years, every every time we've raised the financing round, I've sort of been able to do one fewer jobs, if you will, one fewer things. Like in the early days, I used to like, I used to come in, you know, at nights, run the tools, do some experiments, like raise the series B, couldn't do that anymore. It used to be in every technical meeting, raise the series C, couldn't do that anymore. It used to be in sort of all the team meetings, raise around, couldn't do it anymore. So it's sort of like being willing to kind of step back uh, when the when the time calls. It's it's hard, 
because uh, you really want all like you know I want all the details right but um, I think it comes back to just, just you have to find other people that you're going to trust and and, and really uh, give away your Legos to. I love that. Jean, I want to thank you again so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you want to learn more about Sila, you can head to silanano.com and you can join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. Jean, again, we're rooting for you. We're so grateful for your work and we're wishing you the best. Thank you, Alexa. Really a pleasure. Mm-hmm.